Informing America's farmers and ranchers. It's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Adams on Agriculture as we wrap up another week. Thank you for joining us. Coming up on the program today, of course, a lot of talk about uh, the passage of the bill to keep the government open, but uh, the president um, looks like declare emergency situation to get something done on the border. We'll be talking about that and the fact that uh, the bill does not include the tax extenders, which the biodiesel industry was really hoping for. We're going to talk about that with Kurt Kavarik, Vice President, Federal Affairs for the National Biodiesel Board. Where do they go from here? We'll talk about uh, the China trade situation as talks have wrapped up in China and more talks scheduled back here in the U.S., How do the markets react to all this news? We'll talk with Arlen Suderman with INTL FC Stone. Some uh, severe weather in other parts of the world, such as Australia. How does that impact the cattle market? We'll get into that. And we have new numbers out uh, from January on farm equipment sales. We'll talk about that with Kurt Blades with the Association of Equipment Manufacturers. But let's start things off with the news. And joining us now from AgriPulse Communications is Phil Brasher. Phil, thanks for joining us. Never a dull moment, right? Right, right, yeah. <laughs> no kidding. Uh, wow. We finally have uh, finally have the government funded for fiscal 2019, which started October 1st. <laughs> or, with a big but at the end of it, right? But we also yeah. have this emergency declaration, and we're going to see how that plays out. Yeah, that's going to be a whole uh, another uh, <laughs> a lot of drama. Uh, yeah, it looks like the president uh, is planning to get eight, $8 billion, uh, you know, 1.34 of that uh, uh, is coming from this uh, spending bill. The rest will come from... Um, uh, at least under their plan for moving around from uh, the Defense Department and other places. Well, I think we know how Democrats react to, will react to this. It's going to be interesting to see how Republicans react to this. Yeah, there was a mixed reaction. I think some some surprise. Um, as you know, uh, Majority Leader Mitch McConnell came out on the floor about, uh, I don't know, uh, 3 o'clock uh, just uh yesterday afternoon and announced that uh, the president was going to sign that spending agreement, but he was also going to declare a national emergency. McConnell said he would support that. Um, uh, still, uh, some of the Republican senators seem to be uh, uh, caught by a uh, bit by surprise. Uh, a couple of them, uh, I don't know, Susan Collins and uh, Senator Rubio from Florida, both uh, indicated concern about it, uh, but we'll see. Yeah, it will be interesting. Meanwhile, I mentioned this. Uh, I know the biodiesel industry and some others were really hoping a tax extenders package would be part of this bill to fund the government, but it was not. Uh, so it leaves them kind of wondering what's the next opportunity to get something done when that when it comes to tax yeah. extenders. That's a big, big question mark. There's a couple of uh, big pieces of unfinished business uh, that were put aside uh, when this agreement was come out uh, came out. Uh, one of them is the tax extenders, uh, the biofuel, cre- uh, biodiesel credit, uh, a couple of other uh, uh, provisions, uh, expired provisions that deal with uh, biofuels, blender pumps, so forth. 
Uh, the other thing that was left undone was disaster aid for uh, particularly the southeast. Uh, were hit by the hurricanes last year. Uh, cotton growers in Georgia, and, uh, producers in North Carolina and other states. Um, there was uh, legislation that went through the House that authorized $3 billion in, uh, in disaster aid. Uh, that um, was uh, not uh, dealt with either. Um, so there's going to be a lot of um, there's, there's a lot of unhappiness in the southeast in California, uh, which had the wildfires last year. So that uh, that has to be dealt with as as well. Noted that there is a, a, a bill that's been introduced. Congressman uh, from Louisiana has introduced legislation to help soybean farmers in uh, that state uh, when it comes to getting market facilitation program payments. Uh, because of weather problems and unable to get the, some crops harvested down there, soybeans in particular, uh, they are looking at uh, trying to make a change in those payments to planted acres rather than harvested acres, something I think even Secretary Purdue has supported. It'll be interesting to see if that passes. Yeah, if you've got some interesting uh, you know, some interesting dynamics uh, uh, last year. And, you know, we, we saw in, in the bigger picture, we saw back there's this push 10 15 years ago to get away with some of these get away from some of these forms of ad hoc assistance uh just focusing on crop insurance and um obviously in uh, in recent years with the, the devastation from these hurricanes and then this uh, trade uh, trade war with china new political dynamics that uh, some of it driven some of it uh, natural some of it driven by policy in the case of trade, and um, uh, you know, a lot of folks uh, thinking that uh, the existing programs and crop insurance just don't cover it. Yeah, so we'll see where that goes. Uh, we've had some uh, really uh, serious weather issues that have uh, uh, complicated the the situation and and really made it hard for a lot of producers around the country. Uh, you mentioned trade. Uh, Boy, well, if you follow the news uh, on these talks with China, you'll read a story saying, oh, they think progress is being made. And it's just minutes later, you'll see another report saying, well, they haven't really uh, agreed to anything or really haven't accomplished anything on the big issues. So, I mean, it, it's like riding a roller coaster watching the reports on these talks. It is. And we're just getting mixed signals. Some of this is uh, what happens during uh, negotiations, but uh, we're very much getting mixed signals from the administration. Uh, the uh, yes, things are moving along. We're still talking. And then uh, there was a report that came out late uh, Wednesday night, very late Wednesday night, uh, from uh, saying that they were prepared to extend this March 1st deadline, the White House uh prepared to extend that March 1st deadline for 60 days, two months. Um, so, um, you know, then they put out another statement uh, early this morning saying these talks, uh, the talks were going on great uh, coming out of Beijing and they were going to continue next week uh, here in D.C. So, <laughs> stay tuned. And you're, and you're exactly right. It's very difficult to get a read on uh, how how well they're going, but the fact that they're proceeding um, uh, doesn't. They're certainly talking, so they have not. Uh, they certainly haven't broken off. 
yeah, I guess as long as they're talking, there's hope. And you can, but you can just see this probably getting extended and this dragging on for for quite some time. Yeah, and, uh, almost certainly. But, One of the yeah, things the well, statement this morning said was that quote much work remains. Yeah. Uh, however, they're continuing working. So translation, <laughs> yeah, it's not going to be over anytime soon, right? All right, Phil. Thanks a lot. We'll talk again soon. All right. Great to be here. Take. Take care. Phil Brasher with AgriPulse Communications. So a huge disappointment for the biodiesel industry. They were really hoping that this um, government funding bill would be the vehicle to, to be able to get the tax extenders package uh, uh, in place and some certainty for the biodiesel industry. Now, that did not happen, and where do they go from here? What's the next uh, vehicle? What's the next chance that they can get something done on on tax extenders? We'll talk about that coming up next with Kurt Kabarik, Vice President, Federal Affairs for the National Biodiesel Board. Stay with us here on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. The folks at NK Seeds know that the ag industry is changing, and they know you already have enough surprises to deal with. So they thought you'd like a heads up. They're building a new NK. If you're coming to Commodity Classic, be sure to visit the Syngenta booth to learn more about their reinvigorated NK corn portfolio and consistently high-yielding NK soybeans, all bred with the latest technology to help you maximize ROI. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. 180 over 111, and I had a stroke. When I woke up, I couldn't speak or walk. 145 over 92, and then I had a heart attack. 182 over 100, and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest, and then a stroke. Everything changed. It felt like my life was over. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from invisible or silent. 150 over 90, and I had a stroke. If I would have followed a treatment plan, I would not be in this situation. 180 over 110, and I had a stroke. And I'm 33, so I never see this coming. If you've come off your treatment plan, get back on it. Or talk with your doctor to create an exercise, diet, and medication plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org. Head to toe, everything's changed. Head to toe. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. Do you need a car? Been shopping only to be turned down because of bad credit, low credit, no credit, bankruptcy, or divorce? Guess what? Today's your lucky day. Because now you can buy a car, truck, or SUV, just about any vehicle. It's true. Bad credit doesn't matter. No credit doesn't matter. Bankruptcy or divorce, it just doesn't matter. As a matter of fact, your job is your ticket to your new vehicle. 
We're Auto Credit Express, and we've helped thousands of people just like you. Antonio H. told us, great company, got me connected, and the day I went in, I drove off in the car I wanted. 100% worth your time. Need a car? Get started now and drive off as early as today. Just go to 11ignoremyscore.com right now. That's www.11ignoremyscore.com. Auto financing the easy way. 11ignoremyscore.com. Get started today. Auto financing the easy way. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. So the bill that has passed Congress to keep the government funded does not include the tax extenders package, including the biodiesel tax credit. Here to talk about it is Kurt Kavarik, Vice President, Federal Affairs for the National Biodiesel Board. Kurt, thanks for joining us. I know you're very disappointed uh, that the, the tax extenders did not get in this bill. Yeah, that's exactly right. We had been uh, working for months to, um, to to raise the urgency of, of uh, reinstatement of the tax credit, which expired, um, which was actually extended retroactively in February of 2018 for 2017 only. So uh, the tax credit has been expired since uh, January 1 of 2018. We were, we were looking at this uh, funding bill as a great opportunity to carry um, many of these extenders, so-called extenders, about 26 temporary tax provisions, of which uh, biodiesel is, is one of them. Unfortunately, there was no appetite among uh, congressional leaders to add extraneous items to this bill um, of, of any kind. I mean, this, this bill ultimately, I think, was uh, such a balancing act, to tr- a fragile uh, product to try to get the government reopened and funded for the remainder of the year. And so uh, the decision was made uh, primarily by the leadership in the House that it was uh, they, they were just unwilling to um, attach extraneous items to this bill. So we're we're back at it again. We're we're pleased that you know we've demonstrated uh, strong support at least for the bio, for a long-term extension of the biodiesel tax credit with a a, a House letter from um, 44 members to their leadership, led by uh, Iowa Congressman Dave Loebsack and Illinois Congressman uh, uh, LaHood in support of a multi-year extension. And then just yesterday, the chairman of the Senate Finance Committee, Senator Grassley, was on the Senate floor saying inaction on these uh, temporary tax provisions does not mean they're dead, and he intends to to fight to get them uh, extended. And I, I think he's uh, planning to introduce a standalone bill to extend all of these temporary tax provisions, um, at least for a short-term extension, uh, to allow Congress then to to all the provisions to determine whether they need to to end, be phased out, or be made permanent. So do you think then a standalone bill is your next best chance rather than try to find another bill to to be a part of? That's a great question. Typically, extenders will ride on, um, you know, more comprehensive tax bills that carry other policies, and, and I would anticipate that that would be the case this time. By introducing a standalone bill, the chairman is is signaling that it's his intention as the as the chairman in the Senate position to extend these provisions at least for um, you know one year back, one year forward. Um, what's what's notable is that there were a lot of tax provisions that were hoping to hitch a ride on this funding bill, and none of them were included, including um, you know uh, tax. Uh, tax provisions related to uh, natural disasters last year, um, some retirement provisions, 
uh, extenders. So there's a whole host of, you know, kind of what we we would term unfinished business from the last Congress that that um, there's a, there's a lot of constituencies advocating for. So we would hope that there will be an opportunity early uh, to have the House consider all of these tax provisions and, and, and move them. And as you may know, the Constitution requires revenue provisions to originate in the House. So while our Senate champions are are advocating on our behalf, this really is a House effort and has to start in the House. So we're going to educate new members. We're going to have uh, conversations with uh, committee members to educate them about the biodiesel industry, the significance of, of our our value chain to the ag industry, to the environment, to national security and energy security, and I hope that they recognize it and see the, the urgency in acting on this tax credit. All right, so it's going to start then in the House, which is now controlled by the Democrats. Do you have uh, support of any key Democrats on this? Absolutely. We've, we've got, uh, you know, a handful of folks from Iowa. Um, if you look at the letter that was sent last week by Congressman Loebsack, I think um, at least half of the, the members on it were Democrats of the, of the 44. So we've got, we've got strong support on the Ways and Means Committee and off. Uh, so it's just a matter of ensuring that these members understand kind of the urgency of how this tax credit works and when it's lapsed. You know, we've got producers who carry the, the financial burden of, a, of assuming that this tax credit is going to be reinstated uh, to ensure that they understand that, listen, the longer we go, and, and we are the longest, uh, we're at now at the marker where it's been expired for the longest time in its history, uh, to help them understand that, um, you know, timing is of the essence here. If, if this process, you know, leaks in the summer, we're, we're going to have facilities that are, are, are ramping back on production, buying less feedstock, uh, not making expansions or growing their operations, and that you know that has economic consequences, including you know layoffs of employees or, or shuttering facilities, which is the last thing we want. And out of a out of a Democratic uh, House of Representatives that is you know talking every day about measures to address climate change or to reduce fossil fuel uh, consumption, th- this should be a no-brainer for them. And and you know it's just a matter of educating them on on what the the tax credit does, and then the urgency of, of getting it enacted. We're talking with Kurt Kavark, Vice President, Federal Affairs for the National Biodiesel Board. So basically, Kurt, you have plants that are proceeding from a business standpoint with the hope that uh, they're going to get this tax credit uh, back eventually. But as you say, that can, they can only go so far. We're just hoping it's going to have to happen or it's going to have even more financial impact than we've seen already. That's right. What, what most people don't understand about the tax credit is that because it's always been extended and, and most often retroactively, there's an assumption within, within the market that the dollar per gallon credit will be available at some time. So when a producer is marketing a gallon of, of biodiesel starting January 1st, 2018, built into that contract is, is the value of that $1 uh, uh, credit. So the producer and typically the blender, have some financial liability associated with the value of that dollar and are carrying that financial obligation uh, for, for now 14 months. So there will be a period of time when uh, they're, they're no longer able to operate on the assumption that the credit is going to come back and have to, have to determine what, where do we price this fuel now and what do I do with that, you know, the loss that I took on the, all the gallons that I've been selling for 14 months. So it, it's gonna, it has real-world implications. And that's the message that we have to get to the to the new folks in the house about the urgency of the of the credit. 
And you mentioned this push on environmental issues, greenhouse gas emissions, things like that. Uh, and we've talked about this before, and it was a big topic of a conversation this week at the National Ethanol Conference as well. As we look at it from a renewable fuels industry standpoint, there should be great opportunity here because all of this fits right into the the, uh, the strengths of, of renewable fuels with the uh, environmental benefits. But if these, if the leaders behind this want to take this off in the direction of all electric or away from liquid fuels altogether, things like that, which sound very extreme, but if that's the direction they want to go, then that's ignoring the benefits that the renewable fuels industry is providing now and can into the future. That's right. We're, we're displacing nearly 3 billion gallons of, of petroleum diesel annually with uh, renewable agricultural byproduct uh, oil, vegetable oil, or um, recycled oils. I mean, a lot of our uh, feedstock is um, a byproduct of the corn ethanol production and in distillers corn oil, animal fats from rendering operations, and quite frankly used cooking oil. Other products that are essentially waste streams, we're turning it into a greener fuel. Anywhere from 60 to 85 percent better in terms of greenhouse gas emissions than petroleum diesel. So uh, that's a message that we've been conveying and it, and it resonates and quite frankly you know, if you if you look at the, the the diesel pool, it's it's much different than the gasoline pool is in terms of you know electrification or other efforts to to green to green that um, transportation sector. I think most people would acknowledge that you know heavy duty uh, diesel equipment is likely to be the very last, if ever, electrified. So why not do everything we can with a commercially available uh, green fuel? To, to aid in, in reduction of carbon emissions. And quite frankly, California is the best example of uh, the, the success of our fuel in cleaning the air and providing uh, a greener fuel because they, 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 they seek every gallon they can get for California's low-carbon fuel standard, and they see the benefit of it. So it's just an education process. Uh, you know, you have to help people understand that, you know, just because 50% of our feedstock is a byproduct of of Midwestern agriculture doesn't make it any less green. The, the fact of the matter is we've got surplus uh, vegetable oil because of the soybeans that we grow for the protein to feed animals. Um, what, what better use for that oil than turn it into a green fuel? So it's just a process of, of education and helping people understand that it, it, is, it is greener than petroleum, significantly 60 to 80%, and it's helping clean and, and uh, uh, clean the air through a better and, and uh, better renewable fuel to displace petroleum diesel. All right, Kurt, thanks a lot. And we'll, uh, I know, disappointing on this, uh, on the tax extenders, but hopefully uh, better news ahead. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thank you, Mike. Have a great day. Kurt Kavarik, Vice President, Federal Affairs for the National Biodiesel Board. Yeah, you just keep waiting to hear these, the people pushing the, 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 this green agenda for them to acknowledge the benefits we're already getting from renewable fuels and to endorse them moving forward. Uh, still waiting to hear more, uh, hear that from some of the people pushing uh, this uh, the new green agenda. All right, lots to talk about from a market standpoint. We'll do it with Arlen Suderman next on AOA. If you don't know where to look, it's easy to miss something big. Sometimes the answers to our biggest challenges are found in the most unexpected places. The clean energy solutions we need are right in front of us, always have been. 
Opportunity is everywhere if you know where to look. See the world differently. Poet. The folks at NK Seeds know that the ag industry is changing, and they know you already have enough surprises to deal with. So they thought you'd like a heads up. They're building a new NK. If you're coming to Commodity Classic, be sure to visit the Syngenta booth to learn more about their reinvigorated NK corn portfolio and consistently high-yielding NK soybeans, all bred with the latest technology to help you maximize ROI. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. A mixed start to the day on Friday's session for the grain and oil seed sector. After overnight advances, corn futures back to flat, soybeans a fraction to a penny higher an hour into the day, and the wheat futures are bending a penny to a nickel lower. Chinese and U.S. trade negotiators concluded week-long talks Friday, making some progress toward a broad agreement. The agreement could be in the form of a memorandum of understanding, could serve as the framework for a deal that President Trump and Chinese leader Xi Jinping could later finalize at a summit. USDA reported a new export sale of corn with over 205,000 metric tons shipped by private exporters to an unknown destination for the 2018-19 marketing year. Clarity may come later in the day. Futures International saying if the buyer turns out to be China, corn futures could really jump. March corn reversed to a lower close Thursday, erasing about three-quarters of the gains seen over the previous two sessions. March soybeans sank to a sharply lower close on Thursday. The minor soybean trend bias said to be negative as long as the market trades below its 20-day moving average seen at 9.16. An hour into the day, we're at 9.04 and a half, a penny higher. Chicago wheat four to five lower after sharp losses on Thursday, five to six and a fraction lower Kansas City, and one to three lower in Minneapolis spring wheat. Livestock at the Merck and live cattle futures nearby February is up 40 cents at 126.52. Feeder cattle April down 85 at 145.65. Lean hog futures April 30 cents higher at $59 even. Outside markets, the Dow up over 300 points. S&P up 23. March crude oil in New York up 88. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Have you written a book and want to get it published? Then call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 immediately. That's 800-955-4538. Page Publishing is looking for authors of all types of books. And unlike most publishers, Page Publishing will take the time to review each and every book submitted to them and give you their feedback. If they like what they read, they'll get your book into bookstores and for sale online at Amazon, the Apple iTunes Store, Barnes & Noble, and other outlets. They handle everything, editing, cover design, copyright protection, printing, publicity, and distribution. So if you've written a novel, children's book, cookbook, inspirational work, poetry, or a biography and want to get it published, then you need to call Page Publishing and do it immediately. Call 800-955-4538 now for your free author submission kit. Again, for your free author submission kit, call 800-955-4538. That's 800-955-4538. Your road to fame and fortune could very well start with this simple phone call. Call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 for your free author submission kit. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. 
All right, so we have lots going on. How are the markets reacting to, to all this and viewing all this? Let's talk about it now with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for INTL FC Stone. Arlen, thanks for joining us. Let's start with China. They they wrap up another session of talks in Beijing. Uh, they're going to talk uh, again now next round back in the U.S. There's talk about extending past the March 1 deadline. Um, we get mixed reports, conflicting stories coming out of these talks about Yes, they're making progress. No, they're really not making all that much progress. Uh, does Do the markets just view it as as long as they're talking, that's a positive? Uh, they do, and that's the way they see it. They, they say talking is better than not talking, obviously. Now, what we see is no no progress at all on the core structural issues that the United States is, uh, is insisting on. And in fact, I see them doubling down on those issues. But they do want an agreement, and China many times over history has shown a willingness to say what is necessary to get an agreement as long as there's not clear verification and strict enforcement guidelines in, as part of that agreement. That's going to be part of the key. President Trump is also a student of history. He has seen that tendency. He wants that verification in there. Although that's very difficult to do on some of these measures, and that's where they have somewhat of an edge, and the enforcement is very difficult as well. Now, he would like to see that. Is that realistic? Will he be able to get that? I anticipate and have started to come around to this year thinking this week that we will see probably some sort of an interim deal that would maybe leave some sort of some package of punitive tariffs in place but not raise the tariffs as expected on March 1st. That has been a big leverage tool, that threat to raise tariffs to 25% on March 1. I could see him holding off on that, but holding the other punitive tariffs, and in return, China agreed to buy a number of agricultural and energy commodities from the United States and remove some of their tariffs and non-tariff barriers and make promises for opening up uh, some channels for businesses, but to continue the negotiations on some of the other issues. I think that's a real possibility now and particularly since we see both sides working on a memorandum of understanding for a summit between the two presidents, I don't think that President Trump would agree to such a summit unless some type of agreement like that was in the works. So rather than a big, huge, comprehensive deal being done anytime soon, you see a little piecemeal here and there, a little, uh, you know, they'll buy a little more here, an agreement to get, you know, for something else here, it's kind of, uh, this could just keep going on like this for some time, couldn't it? Yeah, I don't, I don't think it'll be piecemeal. Of course, we know with this president, it'll be huge. Um, but I think it'll be significant. I think they'll buy significant amounts uh, of commodities. I think commodities uh, that are in, in line to benefit significantly would be um, probably corn, pork, uh, crude oil, liquefied natural gas, although right now the, the freight advantage to Europe is more significant, but I could see China doing that to help narrow the trade imbalance. Um, perhaps cotton, perhaps uh, ethanol and DDGs. We, we know there's some U.S. ethanol now making its way into China duty-free, so to speak, or tariff-free by going through other ports of Asia. So there is some hunger for that there. Uh, and we hear that from buyers as well. So I think we'll see some significant market implications there for some of the commodities. 
but also probably a reality check that we're not going to fix the soybean balance uh, balance sheet. And once that becomes clear, uh, the soybean market could be in significant trouble. Yeah, and when I said piecemeal, I meant rather than just the door swung wide open for a huge new trade deal with China, maybe it just it kind of opens a little more slowly than uh, many had thought or hoped for. So we'll, we'll have to see how that plays out. So meanwhile, now here we've got uh, this uh, budget deal to keep the government going, but the president going to uh, declare the uh, national emergency to get something done at the border. How do the markets react to all this? It's been amazing, uh, frankly. I, I don't see um, too much concern in the equities. In fact, uh, we, in, in preparation of President Trump coming out to do, do it, the Dow was up over 300 points this morning, so not a lot of fear. They know that this is going to be tied up into the courts and, and probably not affect uh, the economy anytime soon. Uh, the commodity markets, I, I, don't, I think we're focused mostly on China there as well. There's been more apprehension on the ag side than on the energy side and on the equities. Uh, the ags uh, just still seem to be concerned overall about uh, the balance sheets. Uh, but uh, overall, I don't think that the president's actions here are probably going to be a near-term issue, although it does continue to display the brokenness in Washington. And, and I think longer term, that's a real concern for all the markets is that we have dysfunction in Washington kind of like a big dysfunctional family. Yeah, and I guess I wonder if this just makes it even harder uh, to get USMCA passed. I mean, it just uh, more, more you know, uh, differences between the president and, and members of Congress, uh, and those that gulf seems to widen between them. How do they come together to pass USMCA? Yeah, I, I think that page was probably written put back in December when the Democrats taken over the House kind of laid out their agenda versus uh, the president. And I think the decision was made not to give the president anything. Uh, and um, the two sides are locked in, not that the president's willing to give the Democrats much either. Uh, and uh, you're exactly right. I, I think that uh, I hear different analysis on this, and, and one of the things that I see going forward is that uh, there is some pressure within the Democratic Party, though, to get the, the trade agreement passed. So, to me, this is going to, I think, create some division within the Democratic Party, and it'll be interesting to see how Nancy Pelosi, which side she comes down on that. We're talking with Arlen Suderman with INTL FC Stone. Arlen got an email from a listener in Minnesota. Tony listens to us on KASM, CASM in Albany, Minnesota. And he's wondering about the, this flooding in Australia and the loss of cattle there. Uh, how, does that, how will that impact or will it impact our cattle market? It's another piece of the puzzle dealing with African swine fever. Uh, I talked to our Shanghai office this week, and they now see hog feeding down about 20% in China. So it's increasing. For last month, we were looking at it being down about 15%. What that means is China, as, as they use up the pork reserves, and nobody really knows what the size of those reserves are, they need to start importing more meat. That's not just pork, because we are seeing some consumer shift, some of it due to lack of trust in the government, some of it due to price, shifting to uh, poultry, shifting to lamb, shifting to beef. And so we see it increasing the imports of several different kinds of meats. 
Australia is a real natural supplier of beef, and we've seen them increasing their imports of beef into China already. And so if you tighten up those supplies out of Australia, then that pushes them to look for other markets. That may or may not be from the United States, but if you displace it from another market in a global market like what we have, then that's going to displace other buyers who will come to the United States. So I think this is all part of the piece of the puzzle. We see increased global trade for meat over the next year or two, uh, and I think this will probably extend probably over the next three to five years at least, and I think it will be probably five to seven years before we get this fixed with China. And that's going to really increase dramatically, I think, overall the trade of meat and this Australia situation just plays into that. All right. And before we let you go, we've had a week now to, to kind of sift through all those numbers that USDA came out with uh, a week ago. What was your takeaway from all that? Well, when we look at the soybean market, USDA is already aware of the purchases that uh, China had made and they still lowered their export target, and I think that's indicative of more to come, indicative of the fact that the soybean balance sheet has problems. When you look at the corn side, we tighten up the balance sheet domestically and globally, and uh, I think it further supports the, the premise that if we have any weather problems in a major producing area of the world this year, the corn market is very vulnerable. On the wheat side, we have lots of wheat in the world. Most of it is in China. But we have a lot here in the United States as well, Ample, more ample supplies there, not tight as what we are in corn. I think corn is the leader to the upside, soybeans the leader to the downside in the year ahead, and I think the numbers really laid that out. And what are your thoughts right now on planting? What do you think about uh, acres and where we're headed? We've got a survey out to our clients right now. At this point, I'm working off of a premise of 91.2 million acres of corn. I may have to ratchet that down if we stay wet in the south, which is right now the forecasts look like we're going to stay wet for much of the next 30 days. And that is already slowing the corn planting, may lead to more of a shift in acres towards soybeans, perhaps towards some cotton, but more probably towards soybeans. I'm at 87.5 on soybeans. Um, I know some estimates are lower than that. I just don't see it. I spoke this week to a national group of crop consultants very interactive group. I says that anyone here who's from a region where you're going to see a significant shift in acres between corn and soybeans, and it was an emphatic no. So I think the soybeans are going to be there unless we have a dramatic move in price here very soon. Yeah, we talk about market signals, but, uh, you know, weather oftentimes has that final say, right? It, it really does, and, and that can impact the final percentage points of acres and where they go. Unfortunately, it's going to take a much bigger shift on soybeans, and I have an expanding soybean balance sheet going into the next year. Eventually, we'll have to deal with that if weather does not. All right, Arlen. Thanks, as always. And uh, as we get more developments on some of these issues, uh, we'll check back in with you, see how the markets are reacting. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mike. Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for INTLFC Stone. Coming up next... Latest ag equipment sales numbers are out. First uh, report for 2019. What is the trend there? Does it continue on from uh, what we saw last year when uh, the numbers uh, were, we were pleasantly surprised they held as well as they did. What about this year? We'll talk about that next year on AOA. 
Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Thousands of people contact InventHelp monthly about their invention or new product. Do you think companies would be interested in your idea? Do you want to try to get a patent? Call InventHelp now. Best of all, the call and information are free. InventHelp keeps your idea confidential, explaining every step of the invention process. We create professional materials and submit them to companies who are looking for new ideas in your category. We have more than 9,000 companies who have agreed to review new ideas in confidence. If a company shows interest in manufacturing, your invention, we can negotiate on your behalf. We have helped over 10,000 clients receive patents. We offer 3D modeling and animation, prototyping services, and we use state-of-the-art technology to present client ideas to additional companies. Join people just like you who made the call to InventHelp. You have nothing to lose. The call and the information are free. Call 1-800-213-4556. That's 1-800-213-4556. Again, 1-800-213-4556. The folks at NK Seeds know that the ag industry is changing, and they know you already have enough surprises to deal with. So they thought you'd like a heads up. They're building a new NK. If you're coming to Commodity Classic, be sure to visit the Syngenta booth to learn more about their reinvigorated NK corn portfolio and consistently high-yielding NK soybeans, all bred with the latest technology to help you maximize ROI. Did you know you can listen to the latest podcast of Adams on Agriculture or hear the top news and weekend review from the American Ag Network on your Amazon Alexa? Play my flash briefing. Use the Alexa app to search for the podcast you want to play. Search for Adams on Agriculture to learn about the issues affecting agriculture each weekday. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Again. Or you can search for the American Ag Network. This is the American Ag Network Week in Review. I'm Sabrina Hill. Stay up to date on agriculture with the sound of your voice on your Amazon device. Sometimes life is wonderful, and sometimes it's not. Cherish the good, but always be prepared for life's challenges. At Private Healthcare, we provide the peace of mind you deserve. With Private Healthcare, you'll get the coverage you want and healthcare you need. If your employer doesn't supply healthcare coverage and you don't qualify for Medicare or Medicaid, you need to give us a call right now. Private health care is private health insurance for ages 65 and under with medical, dental, vision, and even prescription coverage. When life comes at you unexpectedly, you need to be ready, and health insurance is your financial safety net. If you're looking for health coverage at the best price and your annual household income is $35,000 or more, give us a call at 800-664-2612. That's 800-664-2612. 800-664-2612. 
My mom's a breast cancer survivor. The United Breast Cancer Foundation saved her life. Their free breast cancer exam caught the cancer early, and it saved her life. But now the foundation needs your help so they can continue offering free or low-cost breast screening exams, saving more women's lives. Help them by donating your car, whether it's running or not. They'll provide fast, free 24-hour pickup, and you receive a charitable tax deduction, plus the great feeling you'll get knowing your donated car is going to help save more lives. Just call 800-745-3327 to set the wheels in motion. They take cars, trucks, vans, and SUVs, running or not. Call 800-745-3327. The United Breast Cancer Foundation needs your help, and your donation could literally save women's lives, helping them catch breast cancer early like they did with my mom. Donate today. 800-745-3327. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, for the past year, we've been tracking the ag equipment sales numbers, and we have said this over and over. We have been pleasantly surprised that in this ag economic climate that the the sales numbers have held as well as they have and, in fact, have shown some gains, and it looks like that has continued into the first month of 2019. Let's talk about it with Kurt Blade, Senior Vice President, Ag Services, for the Association of Equipment Manufacturers. Kurt, thanks for joining us. And we see kind of a carryover from uh, last year into the start of 2019. That's what the numbers are showing us anyway. We're kind of continuing the, uh, the replacement market uh, continuation from uh, you know, basically from October, November. December still showing up in January as well with, uh, with some positive numbers on, uh, on under 40 horsepower, some positive numbers on uh, self-propelled combines, articulated four-wheel drive and then maybe a little bit of softness on some of the row crop tractors. Um, I keep asking you, are you surprised with these numbers? I'll ask you one more time. <laughs> continue to be surprised. I absolutely continue to be surprised. As, you know, every every bit of information that comes out of USDA is that, uh, you know, it's a little little gloom and doom for uh, for the overall farm economy. But having said that, I think what, what, uh, what this does point to is that uh, certainly in those High horsepower tractors and in those uh, combines that 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 just proves that this is a uh, this is a longer term decision that a farmer is making based off of you know basically it was just time for them to to, to make uh, make an investment in some new equipment because the you know the clock set it or the depreciation worked right or just the the uh, you know it was just right for their business. The other side of well, that is that that under forty horsepower tractor market just you know is is so heavily. Uh, dependent on the overall economy, I think that's a pretty good statement of where where folks are feeling confident about the overall economy. What are you seeing in Canada? What about sales there? Well, we've seen some some falling off in Canada, uh, you know, and that was starting to show up a little bit uh, towards the end of the end of last year. But we saw some softness pretty much across the board uh, with, uh, with, uh, e- e- all, all categories of tractors, including the smaller one. I think what we could probably look, look at on, on this, and they're not, not a prognosticator necessarily, but saying that, you know, it's, you gotta recognize that, uh, it's been cold this It probably does have an impact on sales. Um, you know, just the ability to get to the store. The other thing we can take a look at, uh, you know, both, both, you know, you should talk about just the, the coldness of, 
of the weather affecting the markets in, in Canada, but also in the U.S. And then you can say that there's a government shutdown that happened for a couple of weeks, and that, that had some impact on the financing ability and some other other things, just slowing things down just a little bit. And, of course, uh, another carryover, we still have those steel and aluminum tariffs on Mexico and Canada. We still have the tariffs and the trade situation and tensions with, with China, even though talks continue. So I guess, you know, we talk about the, the sales numbers carrying over from last year. A lot of the issues that impact those sales numbers have carried over from last year to this year as well. I'll tell you what, Mike, I wish that wasn't the case. I wish we would be continued to have these conversations, you know, almost eight months now saying, boy, we want these steel aluminum tariffs to go away. But we're still having those conversations. Now, I, I remain optimistic that there's some there's some good trade trade negotiating happening as we speak, and, and it's my understanding that, uh, that steel and aluminum are certainly part of those conversations as, with the implementation of, uh, of uh, USMCA. So I, I, I feel optimistic that that's, that that's going to be moving forward. But, boy, you know, it's getting critical for some of these to be uh, – uh, time's getting critical for the, some of these issues to be resolved because what I'm really concerned about, and I think most farmers would agree, is uh, you know, there's the short-term pain. Obviously, we don't like the short-term pain, but what I really don't like the idea of is if there's some sort of change in trade patterns as a result of this current trade war. That's a, that's a bit of a problem. All right. So this time of year, are you expecting, uh, one way or another, uh like say maybe this next report to really indicate a move one way or the other as we go into uh, spring planning time, or or do you think that's already built into these numbers we've just seen from January? What, what are you expecting? Well, I mean we've just got that that seasonality, so February will start. I think we'll begin to show a little bit of a little bit of a different picture. Um, you know, we'll look at you know that's that's going to be a pretty big indication of what spring planting is going to look like. Um, but, you know, February historically is a little bit lower than January in terms of the numbers. We don't see major upticks until, say, March and April for that spring planting. So I think, you know, probably two two months away from really telling a really big story of what that impact is. But I would say that in February, you know, since we did avert a uh, uh, government shutdown last week, or, or excuse me, yesterday, uh, I think that we'll probably see some, some of those, maybe some of those uh, uh, weakening numbers uh, at least return to uh, return to some normalcy based off of uh, factors that were beyond the farmer's control. Um, uh, we worked out with this February report that comes out in a couple of weeks. Yeah, we will see if uh, a spring and the thought of getting to the fields brings uh, maybe some some optimism as well. So, Kurt, uh, it doesn't seem possible. We've been talking about this now for about a year, and you know we think of all the things that are happening, and in some ways we look back and say. Uh, a lot hasn't changed in a year. I mean, we are talking about some of those same issues and still waiting for outcomes. It is. It isn't that just kind of funny. Is it twelve months? I've been. We've been saying the same things. Like, oh, it's going. It's going to change soon. It's going to change soon. I still continue to say that because I still continue to believe that. Um, and I know that uh, you know the farmers that I talk to, they all continue to remain optimistic. I was just down at the uh, uh, the National Farm Machinery Show in Louisville last week and. Uh, you know, there was some optimism in the room there, and there's some, some pretty great new technology. So I think, uh, you know, all farmers continue to be optimistic, but there's still just that cautiousness that's, uh, that's just right on the horizon because of all these uncertainties. Yeah, here we're a couple weeks away from a Commodity Classic, and that's a huge gathering of farmers around the country. It will be interesting to kind of get 
uh, a feel of the the mood and the attitude among them at that meeting? I would agree completely. In fact, you know, Commodity Classic is a you know the premier event for uh, for for uh, commercial farmers and row crop farmers and uh, certainly crop crop farmers. And so you'll have a I think you'll have a pretty good indication of what their uh, what their attitudes are on looking forward. Cause these are the folks that are buying the bigger equipment. Remember a couple of years ago uh, when corn prices were, were just phenomenal, you would have people that were just in really great moods and even giving corn cheers at the, at the uh, having a cocktail and giving a corn cheer. So it'll be fun stuff. Kurt, thanks a lot. Uh, we'll talk to you again real soon next month, okay? Very good. Thanks, Mike. Take care. Kurt Blade, Senior Vice President, Ag Services, Association of Equipment Manufacturers. Thanks for being with us today. Have a great weekend, everyone. Join us Monday on AOA.